Um, I, I, on, if you're visiting, by the way, my name's Scott Matthews. I'm one of the pastors on staff, and I've been on vacation and uh, get a chance to come back so far. And I, I challenged myself. I ran up and down the bluffs of where I was raised and uh, body surfed some of my favorite spots in Southern California. If you ever want a good body surfing and, and you have someone to keep you safe, Laguna Beach is like the best place uh, up and down the coast of Laguna. And the thing I challenged myself to do more than anything else was to surf. And so I have friends down south that have surfboards. And I, took, I just took a couple of my sons on vacation uh, week one. And we surfed all week, any day, all day we could. One of my friends loaned me his board. And I, he didn't tell me it was his best board, uh, but he did later. Uh, because I took his board out, and I'm not a surfer, okay? I'm, I'm a wannabe. Uh, but I was going out on the board, and a big surfer surfing along board. We were at, by the way, uh, point the point at San Onofre, near Old Man's, if you're familiar with that area. And I'm going out on his board, and I think I can get over this wave before this surfer who's coming right on it gets to me. I, I'm doing, I have the best of intentions to get out of his way, and I don't. And he didn't seem to really care either, but I'm not going to be judgmental. I'm not supposed to judge. Total jerk. So I, <laughs> he hit my board with his skag, or my friend's best board with his skag, and it just, it just catapulted him. He just flew off the board, and he got all upset at me. He's a big guy, and I thought, man, if this gets tense right now, I'm going in. So I, he had to come catch up to me, and we had to dig his, the skag of his board off the nose of mine because it, it had penetrated four inches into the board. So I caught a wave or two later. I was kind of in denial that something really awful had happened. And then I brought the board into, into the inside, and I said, hey. He said, hey, good. You caught a bunch of waves. I'm like, thanks. I said, I had a little problem. I said, I, I got run over, and my friend really kind of lost it. It's, I didn't realize it was his favorite board, and I learned something. Don't borrow favorite board. It was a real, honestly, for a moment, I didn't have hope, and I didn't know what to do. My, my cousin, by marriage, is a, a real surfer. I mean, for real. He's like surfing today in the U.S. Vans uh, competition at Huntington Beach. His name is J.J. Uh, Wessels. And he saw the ding, and this is what he said. He goes, bro, no big deal. I've got this friend who shapes for infinity. He does that on the side. He can do it blindfolded. It won't cost you nothing. I'm like, oh, really? He said, yeah, we'll even fix the nose. How much? He goes, nothing, maybe $50. So he was off by $225. <laughs> But I got to tell you, I, I found, I experienced great hope. And I even called my friend yesterday and I asked him, hey, how's your board? And he said he hasn't been able to pick it up yet. But I had hope in that moment. There's nothing worse than breaking something that you borrowed from someone. It's a downer. Reminds you to be careful about borrowing things from people. <clears throat> he encouraged me. He told me my friend's board probably wasn't worth what I paid to fix it. So that made me feel a little better, kind of. But... 
We need hope. I, I need hope. I don't like being in situations where I don't have hope. You're no different, I don't think. You know that statistically people who have hope approach their jobs with more confidence. People that have hope approach their marriage and family life with more confidence. People that have uh, an injected, kind of fueled hope in their life approach their future with more confidence. They're more willing to show compassion. They're willing to lend a hand to help a neighbor out. Uh, they, they have moved beyond just a faith to a real hope. In fact, uh, uh, faith is the assurance of things that are hoped for. So hope is actually the next tier of faith. Hope is the object of my faith. It is that which I have faith will happen or that God is going to make happen. Hope is quite essential for living, and it's undervalued. It's not valued enough. I was reminded of this in that I was encouraged to read what is considered one of the best treatises on hope. It comes from a gruel time in American uh, U.S., world history, rather, um, and that is the awful uh, Jewish concentration camps of uh, pre-World War II, uh, or actually World War II. And uh, they come from the psychiatrist uh, Viktor Frankl, who wrote the book In Search of Meaning, or Man's Search for Meaning. And in this, in this piece, he narrates his own experience as a concentration camp survivor and he makes the point that when courage and hope are lost, that it is deadly. In fact, he references his own friend, you'll see from the quote here, who lost hope because his day of liberation didn't come. He mentions that often that uh, inmates during the camps that f- presumed that they were going to be released on Christmas or shortly thereafter or before the new year, if they weren't released on the dates that they had hoped they would be released on, it was deathly tragic. Could kill them, literally. They would just give up hope. Hope actually is something that is very essential and critical for your well-being, your hope quotient, as Ray Johnston uh, describes it. What I want to argue this morning is that hope is the beginning of everything. Hope is the beginning of everything. And I want to show you a brief scripture text that I want you to consider memorizing uh, that will launch us into our presentation this morning. And it's this, these words from the co-worker of Jesus, Paul, who wrote this prayer. What a prayer to memorize. May the God of hope, that's how it starts, may the God of hope, may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust, what does it say? Him. So the, the origin or the well or the fountain of our hope is Him. It's trusting, it's a personal relationship with Him. That Him is Jesus. And may you overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So there's this instruction from Jesus' co-worker Paul, Romans 15, verse 3, that our 
hope factor, our hope quotient, which again is the, it is the actual object of our faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Faith is the conviction of things not seen. Hope is that object for which we long for. Sometimes those longings come from God. They're deeply embedded in our heart. And we believe things are truly possible. So before we even start on answering today's question, how does Jesus bring hope to my imperfect life? We have to begin with this passage in, in Romans, written to the church in Romans. Where are you at as it relates to the kind of hope you have related to your career, related to your friendships, related to your, your family life, related to your health, your emotional health, physical health, your um, uh, mental health? What is, what is your hope quotient? Where are you at? And have you made a decision to recognize that the, the origin, the well, the rock of your, um, the source of your hope, if you're a Christ follower, comes from Jesus? If you haven't made that decision, then that's maybe a decision for you to make today. To believe that if Jesus can conquer, conquer that which scares people the most, death, when he died and suffered for our sins and then resurrected from the dead, when you believe that event, then you can embrace that someone who was raised from the dead and sits at the right hand of God can give you hope in any area of your life. So this morning, we're going to answer this question, how do I bring Jesus' hope to imperfect lives? And as we do, we're going to look at a story that I think is going to be really apropos for our culture. Because as I read this, you're going to see that there is a uh, real relationship between what's happening in modern culture and what was happening in Jesus' time. And you're going to see how Jesus dealt with it. Open your Bibles, if you came this morning, to Luke chapter 19. We're going to look at verses 1 through 10. Just a short little uh, story that's only captured by this physician, uh, co-worker of Paul, actually, who collected this story about Jesus and gives us a real sense of how Jesus interacted with people, especially in the last few days of his life. That's what really surprised me about this passage is that uh, Jesus, he's near death. He's days away and he is taking time for someone that is curious about who he is. Here it is. Zacchaeus entered Jericho and was passing through Rather, let me say that again. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. Since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up, and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. 
But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, 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 rather, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. So what I find so interesting about this story, Jesus is in the last few days of his life. He's passing through a community, a gateway community, really, kind of like Natomas, uh, on his way to the capital, Jerusalem. And he's passing through a community that has, that has issues, that has uh, challenges. Um, you remember the story from the Good Samaritan that Jesus taught uh, Jericho was no different than a lot of cities that had crime and safety issues. Um, and Jesus is coming through this town. He's, he's, his presence alone is got to be meaningful for the citizens of Jericho. Because Jericho was a city that was to never be rebuilt. It's a city that actually had a curse on any developer that would ever, that would ever rebuild the city. It was condemned in about 1,000 B.C., and God himself said, at the cost of a son, will any developer experience if he tries to rebuild this city? That prophecy was actually fulfilled about the 7th century um, B.C., and yet, even though that curse was pronounced and was um, fulfilled, it didn't mean that God did not have something great for that city. And I, I think that Jesus' presence really was a tremendous gift to that community. You can imagine how, how much, uh, how valuable it would be for us to have uh, a dignitary come to our city and spend some time here. Um, and or even our Natomas community. It would be very meaningful no matter, you know, how you viewed uh, the, the person's um, policy position, it would be an honor to have uh, our president uh, here or another dignity just to respect him and uh, his family in office. This, no doubt, when Jesus came to Jericho, it was ridiculous, like he's here. Uh, What an incredible opportunity. His disciples were there. First century scholars suggest at many times there were up to 200,000 people following Jesus. And for Jesus to come into this town and look up and on a sycamore fig tree and see a little guy, we'll call short, 5'7", and see a little guy up on a tree and say, Zacchaeus. You know what his name meant? The pure one. Zacchaeus, come on down from that tree. I want to be at your house today. Uh, this, this was an incredible ability to sense what was happening around him. This was an incredible ability to be perceptive of what's happening, what's really happening in the lives of people. I just want to admit, boy, I think women are far better at this than men. You ladies can sense what's going on in people's lives a hundred times better than we men can. Fellas, would you agree? Just say holla if you agree. Yeah, I mean, you get it. We're like, hey, they're fine. Don't worry about it. Forget about it. And they're like, no, they're not fine. You ladies see so much more. Jesus had that kind of ability to sense what was going on in people's lives. And he could tell that Zacchaeus was was honestly curious to know about Jesus. 
And so Jesus does something that I want all of you to consider becoming a part of your life. Jesus has already, he's a spirit-led man. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He's, his priority is to preach and teach the kingdom of God is coming, to actually cast out demons, and to heal, to love people. And the first part of our challenge of being a hope bringer is to follow Jesus' example and to become, to accept the call to become a hope bringer. That's where we want you to, to, to start. If you've experienced this overflow, this, this, this what I call like a 7-Eleven slurpy overflow of hope personally, the reason you have is because God wants you to become a hope bringer into the lives of other people. A hope bringer. I'm looking at right here at Russell Merritt. He's in services today. He's going to the army today. It's his last day. He's going in today. Stand up, Russ. I want you to. I want them to see you, <laughs> Russ Merritt. Proud of him, going in the army today. Russ is a family friend. Uh, been in my wife's classes at Intercom. Very proud of him. Very proud of everything about him. But Russ, you need to be a hope bringer to those other military. Be a hope bringer. Accept the call to be a hope bringer. It's on you. Jesus accepted that call. Can you imagine? He's in his early 30s. I mean, he hasn't had tons of life experience from a kind of a human standpoint. And he's got, he's got days left before an excruciating week. And he's focused on, 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 uh, on little Zacchaeus, a wee little man as he, and wants to reach out to him and spend time with him. Jesus why Zacchaeus? I think there's a lot of reasons I'll talk about here in a moment. But the one reason is Jesus' mission was about people. What he was going to do on that execution apparatus in the first century was about Zacchaeus. was about people. Will you accept the call to be a hope bringer? Do you, are you willing to see people? Or when you see people... Like Zacchaeus, do you think uh, he's, that guy's wealthy. He, there's nothing I have to offer him. Or that guy's, you know, politically he and I are on two different pages. Uh, we're, he, I have nothing to offer him. Or he's not interested. Or I know she's an atheist. There's no way that they would allow me to be a part of their life. Boy, I want to tell you, I think Jesus here is literally trying to break through this idea of an us and them culture. He's trying to break through this idea that it's us conservatives and them whatever you want to call them. Because in this text, you can see as, Zacche- as Jesus moved close to Zacchaeus, people are starting to say, he's going to be with a sinner. He's going to be with them. And the rule here is when it comes to God's grace and God's love, it's not about us and them. It's about us. We all need it. Whether you're a tax collector that's cheating people or you're a tax, a taxed citizen who feels cheated, <laughs> we all need God's grace. Will you accept the call? What keeps you from accepting the call to, bring, to being a hope bringer to someone that you're close by. Shouldn't be their social economic background. Shouldn't be their political position. Shouldn't be their race. 
shouldn't be their preferences, shouldn't be their, their position on all the different issues we've looked at in the last couple months on media. It should be because they need Jesus' hope. Accept that call to be a hope bringer. Jesus takes another step. He invites himself over for lunch. He, he says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to be eating at your house today. How many of you right now are feeling compassion for Zacchaeus' wife? <laughs> yeah, Jesus says, I'll be, I mean, this is almost like a, an Obi-Wan Kenobi. I'll be eating at your house today. You will serve oysters. <laughs> you will have Diet Coke. <laughs> uh, it, it's just this moment where it's typical in the Middle East that Christians... Uh, Jews and Muslims especially practice devout hospitality. I mean, in fact, I've actually heard that Muslims are the best at this. Uh, Tremendous hospitality. You just ask, they'll, they'll serve you. Jesus, it's not, this is not being rude. Jesus doesn't want to, he's not in this for a five star meal. He's not picking uh, Zacchaeus out because Zacchaeus probably has a leather lazy boy. He's not picking Zacchaeus out because Zacchaeus has quality food. Who knows? He may not have any good food. Uh, He's picking out Zacchaeus because he knows Zacchaeus has an honest heart that is open for real fact-based hope. And so he he asked Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, I want to eat lunch with you. Let me just ask you... uh, I think what's kind of a tough question. How many folks have you had in your home in 2015 that are non-believers, that are not people of faith, that are people that hold opinions that are totally contrary to yours, that are people that you wouldn't naturally uh, be on the same page with in a lot of issues? How many folks have you had in your home that are unengaged from Christ and the church uh, in 2015? Think about that for a moment. Because whether you're being invited to be with someone or you're, you're inviting someone to be in your home, it's never I'm being invited by them. It's I'm being invited by one of us. Or if I'm inviting someone into my home, I'm not inviting them, I'm inviting one of us in need of God's hope. Only you know who you've had in your beautiful home. Um, Only you know that sometimes we don't have people in our home because we don't think it's nice enough. And that's, that's, that's not good. I had to learn that lesson. People don't want to come in your home because they want to. They want to be because they want to judge your house. They like you. They want to be with you. And they might judge your house a little bit, but they can get over that. <laughs> Here's the challenge that Jesus followed that I want you to consider. Jesus accepted the call to be a hope bringer. Secondly, he built a friendship. He took the initiative. Zacchaeus, I I want to have lunch with you. This is day, this is maybe, maybe day eight prior to his death and resurrection. He sets time aside to go be with 
a group of people associated with Zacchaeus that are considered the them, the, the less conservative group. And uh, the reason he does that is because when it comes to the cross, there is no us or them. You've either made a decision to believe that what Jesus suffered on that cross was for your sins or you haven't. Maybe that's a decision you make today. It begins your hope, source, fuel, opportunity if you do. The other thing that happens in this narrative that's kind of crazy is that Jesus just has lunch with this guy. I mean, I can't imagine being able to sit down with the Lord. I believe someday I'm going to get to see him face to face. Ugh. Part of me, I was thinking about this morning, what am I going to say? Probably nothing. Hopefully I say nothing. (laughs) But I sometimes wonder, you know, what if I, you know, I was thinking the first thing I would say is like, hey, what do you want me to do? Is it, what do you want me to do? And I'd be afraid he'd say, oh, nothing. Just sit there. Okay, yes, sir. I don't know what he's going to say to me. But I do, I do know that he knew exactly what Zacchaeus needed to hear and maybe not hear. And I, that may, for you, be kind of like pie in the sky. Oh, yeah, good, he's Jesus. He kind of does know what to say. But here's the challenge. If you accept the call to be a hope bringer and you build a relationship, what are you going to say? How about this? You're going to say the same thing Jesus said. How do we know what Jesus said? We don't know what he said. But we know this. Jesus did say that when we're put in a position to testify of him, the Father will give us the spirit of Jesus that will give us the exact words we need to say. And so I would challenge you, I challenge you all the time is to always be praying, Lord, give me the right words. I do it all the time. Lord, give me the right word. Give me the right words. Before I send, oh gosh, that email, those were not the right words. Uh, or that text, wrong words. So I pray, Lord, give me the right words. If I have to wait a day, help me wait a day. Give me the right words. Because words matter. Wow, do they ever. Words matter. Jesus built a friendship with this guy. He accepted the call to bring him hope. And he spent time with him. And this guy stands up and he says, hey, this is what I'm going to do. Somehow out of this conversation, this guy stands up and says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to give 20% of my income to the poor. Point of information, scholars suggest that was the ideal goal for a Hebrew, 10% tithe and then additional dollars for uh, the poor. And then he says, I'm going to follow the law. He says, I'm going to return to those that I have uh, taken from fourfold. So you're going to get four times as much. Um, So it's, he's just following what the law says. But my question is, how does a person get there to where they're like, hey, I'm going, what I've been doing all for myself, I'm now going to Flip it upside down and do it for others. How do you get there? And I got to tell you, this is how you get there. This is how you lead people that direction. You don't. You simply follow the Holy Spirit when you're with people, and you let God's Spirit open their hearts. You don't have to say anything sometimes. You just love them. Last night, I was with a friend. 
uh, a, a friend that does not come to this church, but who lives um, openly um, a, in, in a relationship that one could consider very destructive to a family. Okay? We're friends. She knows I know the nature of her relationship. I know it. That relationship she has can be very destructive to a family. She's not a Christ follower. Um, but we're friends. Had the chance to be with her and a group of about 30. And I was very deliberate to make it a point just to love her and be caring. Just to be there. Uh, just to be present. I wasn't weird or awkward. I didn't do anything stupid like, like I'm highly capable of. But I just thought, you know what? This gal just needs to know I love her. Just stand there and just be there and visit. And I invited my family to come over and hang out with her family sometime. Jesus did it. I thought I could do it. And she was excited about that. It's not us and them. It's all of us that need that cross. All of us do. So uh, Jesus was was willing to follow the Spirit. He was, he was led by the Spirit. Remember, he went into the wilderness when his ministry first started, and the Scripture says he was led by the Spirit. He was full of the Spirit. When he spoke, it was his Father speaking through him. We have that same ability to choose the right words. You'll be amazed. If you're in a conversation with someone and you don't know what to say, I challenge you, just pray, Lord, give me the right words. And you'll, he may say, no, <laughs> just be quiet but he'll give you the right words, could change someone's life. Let me just make a point. I think the evidence here of a changed life for Zacchaeus was a transformed financials. His, his, his fiscal year transformed. And it wasn't, if you want to follow Jesus, you need to quit your job as a chief, chief tax collector and stop taking taxes from your own Hebrew people and giving them to the Roman government. It wasn't, it wasn't that. It was... The Spirit led him to say, no, instead of being someone who is, perhaps, he doesn't fully admit this, taking advantage of people, I'm going to start paying back anyone who feels like they've been taken advantage of. And instead of, uh, instead of keeping, perhaps, what I have, I'm going to give 20% of away. For him, his Jesus encounter meant a financial transformation. And I was thinking... It's not the same way for everybody. Before you met Christ, maybe your challenge had to do with pride and criticism, perfectionism, being critical and hard on everybody. And as Jesus filled you with hope, now you're forgiving and helpful and serving and non-critical and humble and willing to serve people that can really benefit from your gift set. Maybe before you met Christ, you were you're, you're kind of uh, a... Uh, a lust machine where you just couldn't stop coveting, couldn't stop desiring. And now that you've come to know Christ, you find, boy, he's fully transformed that. Now you're someone that when you look at people, you look at them as valued people, not for what they can do for you, but for how treasured they are by God. You have eyes that are now guarded, hearts that are kept from being envious and jealous. That's your transformation. It's not the same for everybody. But when you've experienced hope, it changes you. It really does. Um, my, my transformation personally, I think since I've been a Christian since I was 13, is the area of, uh, of, of, 
of coveting, um, of as a man, guarding my eyes, not to look at women. Uh, that was always a real temptation for me as a kid. Uh, it's still a temptation, but I'm so grateful that, it's, that God protects me from that. And it's, it's been great. It's been very freeing uh, for me. I think we all experience different, significant transformations, but that was Zacchaeus's. His was financial. What's yours? Have you seen a transformation happen? Consider that. Well, this, uh, this challenge this morning of being a hope bringer uh, is going to happen if you accept the call, um, if you build a friendship, and you wait on God's Spirit. Uh, but before I get there, I've got to ask you a tough question related to your personal walk with God and your obedience to His commandment that you being a hope bringer. Here's a question I want to I ask, and I'm going to give you a couple minutes to pray about. This could be a hard question. Ready? How many people with whom you have shared the gospel have you seen come to faith in Jesus Christ in 2015? Take a moment and just uh, think on the implications of that question. Holy Spirit, please speak to us about what this question means, what it says about our busyness, what it says about our values, about our minds and our priorities, and our obedience to you in this country. Amen. There's a There's a, an exhortation that comes from a Russian uh, prison survivor named Dmitri who challenged an American missionary and an American Christian, and he said this. He said, don't ever give up in the United States. Your freedom to tell others about Jesus which in our country we would never give up during persecution that could lead to our own death. Don't ever give up in freedom what we would never give up in persecution. The question again is how many people with whom you've shared the gospel have 
you've seen come to faith in Jesus Christ. Our challenge from the leadership team at Adventure is that this year you would consider this milestone. This is our all-in, all-church milestone. We think this actually is the most important discipline for all Christ followers outside of your prayer life. Our challenge is that we see half of our congregation, at least half, doing life with their unengaged, disinterested neighbors, doing life, loving them with no strings attached, in front yard living, backyard living, at the club, at the gym, and when the Spirit leads seizing an opportunity to make a bold move to share your Jesus story this year. Again, our challenge to you this morning from the leadership team, that's the elders, myself, the staff, is that in 2015 and 2016, you prayerfully consider starting to reprioritize your life and making a commitment once a month to do life a couple hours with our community here in Atomas, loving them unconditionally, loving, I should say, us, the us unconditionally, and when given the opportunity, making a bold move to share your Jesus story and tell people about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ that brings us all hope. That's the challenge we want to usher today as we start. We believe that hope is the beginning of everything and that our mission here as a church is this. Uh, You might write this down. I'd like you to memorize this too. This is our mission. It's bringing Jesus' hope to an imperfect world. Bring Jesus' hope to an imperfect world. And we think that's important because hope is the beginning of everything. If you've got hope, you're in. I can't wait to go surfing again. I've got hope. My, my brother, my cousin tells me Pacifica is a great place to surf. They've got a nice right there that's smooth. It's, a, it's just a great, tranquil place to surf. He also said if you want to die, go to Mavericks. It'll be a great experience for you. Folks, if you're here today and you've never made the decision to trust in Jesus as your hope, I'm going to give you a chance to in a minute. But right from where you're seated in a moment when Natasha comes out to close our service, if you have sensed that the Holy Spirit is truly leading you to start doing life with our community, with your neighbors in front yard living, around Chile, around a football game, around, uh, around uh, dessert, Once a month, you feel like, yeah, I've been negligent of my neighbors. I want to just start loving them with the unconditional love of Jesus. If that spoke to you and you're willing to accept that challenge, as Natasha leads this closing song, I want you to just stand right from where you're seated, just for a minute or two, and let us celebrate 
that you want to be a hope bringer. Uh, as Natasha leads the song, you just stand where you're at. If you're here and you've never made a decision to make Jesus the leader of your life, to trust in him as the source of your hope, I want to challenge you to make your decision public. Come down forward and let me pray with you and be a part of that journey. Let me say a prayer and we'll start. Heavenly Father, thank you for being the God of all hope that fills us with joy and peace that comes from your son, Jesus. Thank you that this hope can overflow in our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're here today and you just want God to fill you with hope, I challenge you right from where you're seated to say, God, I want this hope. Fill me with it. God, I want the power of your Holy Spirit to bring me this hope. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you accept our 2015-2016 milestone challenge of doing life with our community once a month, right from where you're seated, I want to ask you to just stand up for a moment and let us celebrate whenever you're ready.